so let me start by welcoming you to Flick, which is our online Bible study fellowship. Flick simply means fulfilling life in Christ koinonia. Flick is an acronym of the words fulfilling life in Christ koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship. So it is a fellowship celebrating the fulfilling life of Christ. All that Christ has fulfilled in Christ is what we celebrate, is what we rejoice in, and is our focus. And the goal of our fellowship is always to bring us to an understanding and appreciation of all that Jesus Christ has fulfilled in his passion and the effects that abound in the life of the believer. We strongly advocate and preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which we believe is the central focus of the gospel of Christ. And I thank everyone for the time that you have made here today. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Now, in the book of Second Corinthians, uh, in context, Paul is encouraging the Corinthian believers to be reconciled with him and also to reject false prophets who are challenging his authority and creating dissension in the church. And as you can recall, the life of Paul was always filled with a plea to all churches and to saints continually to remain focused and central in the message of the gospel of Christ. It's the same um, situation that he had in the book of Galatians. We see it also in the book of Corinthians. We see the same also in the book of Romans. We see the same in also other epistles that he wrote like in Ephesians, he always made a commitment to remind the believers and to set their affections towards Christ to be centered around Jesus. And um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes and says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need in is you yourselves. That means the only, the only praise and confidence, the only credits that they have, the validity of their ministry is in the lives of those that they have transformed in Corinth. Paul is saying your lives are a letter written in our hearts and everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. So when people behold the Corinthian church, when people behold the believers, the people who have been impacted by the life of the apostle Paul and those that labored in ministry with him, then they can tell of the quality of his ministry. They can tell of the credence, of the validity, of the genuineness, of the sincerity of his ministry by observing the lives of those that have been impacted by the Apostle Paul. Paul says, clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. 
you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. Basically, their lives were a publication revealing the impact of the Apostle Paul's ministry. They were a publication of Christ. They were a testimony of Christ showing the impact of the ministry that the Apostle Paul had among us, the church in Corinth. And Paul says that this particular letter is written not with pen and ink, as other letters typically are written, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. The letter of validation, the letter of credence, the letter that proved the validity of the Apostle Paul's ministry was human lives that have been impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, we are confident of this because of our great trust in God through Christ. We are confident of this because of our great trust in God through Christ. He says, and such trust have we through Christ to God's word. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything of our own. Our qualification comes from God. So Paul says, and even beyond the lives that you see we have impacted, we are not then boasting of our sufficiency. We are not boasting of our accomplishment. We are not boasting of how many lives we have impacted. But we say that our sufficiency is of God. He says, it is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own, but our qualification comes from God. It is God that has qualified us. It is God that has enabled us. Paul says in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or rather chapter 3, where we are, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, he has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant or ministers of the new testament this is a covenant not written not of written laws but of the spirit the old written covenant ends in death but under the new covenant the spirit gives life he says god has also made us able ministers of the new testament not of letter but of the spirit for the letter killeth but the spirit gives life it is god who has qualified us he says making us to be fit and worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of a new covenant. And this new covenant is of salvation through Christ. Not ministers of the letter, of a legally written code, but of the spirit. For the code of the law kills, but the Holy Spirit makes alive. So in the new covenant, We walk by the law of the spirit, which is life in Christ Jesus. And Paul furthermore emphasizes and says the old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory, the people of Israel could not bear to look at the face of Moses. They could not bear to look at the face of Moses. He says the old way with laws etched in stone, led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. 
for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. So he says, children, we expect far greater glory under the new way. Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life. If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? He says, how shall not the ministration of the spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of the condemnation be, be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by the reason of the glory that excelleth. He basically says, in fact, the first glory was not glorious at all, compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Then he goes ahead and explains the old covenant. He says, we are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. What is this veil? The veil that hinders them from identifying Christ. The veil that hinders them from recognizing Christ. The veil that hinders them from seeing Christ. When we are centered around the old covenant, when we are centered around the old covenant and its practices and its directions, when we are centered around there without the revelation of Jesus Christ, we are hindered to see Christ. And he says this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. They do not understand. I don't know if you have seen people that are so passionate and zealous about God. Passionate and zealous about God. But they do not understand the message. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, their veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then he says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. In other words, what he's basically saying is, when we have an understanding of Christ, when we turn to the Lord, and that veil that hinders us from seeing Jesus is removed, when we turn to Christ, then we are able to see him. We are able to see Jesus, and the more we behold Christ, the more we learn about him, the more we are invested in Christ Jesus, the more we see ourselves. image of Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So now, Paul says, seeing that we have received this ministry. So what ministry did the Apostle Paul have? 
the ministry of ministering the new covenant, the ministry of ministering Jesus, the ministry of revealing Christ, the ministry of the new covenant. He says, therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, he says, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. So he says, we do not handle the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight, sight of God. Or he says, therefore, since we do hold and engage in this ministry by the mercy of God, granting us favor, benefits, opportunities, and especially salvation, we do not get discouraged, spiritless, or despondent with fear, or become faint with weariness and exhaustion. We have renounced disgraceful ways, secret thoughts, feelings, desires, and underhandedness, the methods and arts that men hide through shame. We refuse to deal craftily, to practice trickery and cunning, or to adulterate or handle dishonestly the, the word of God, but we state the truth openly, clearly, and candidly. And so we commend ourselves in the sight of the pr and, and presence of God to every man's conscience. So he's saying we present ourselves honest, genuine, before God, and also before men. And then he says, but if our gospel be hid, which gospel? The gospel of Christ, which gospel? The gospel of his grace, which gospel? The new covenant that is centered around Jesus. He says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded their minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, shall shine unto them. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So what is the message? The glorious gospel of Christ is the message. What is the message? The glorious light of the good news. It is the message about the glory of Christ. His sufferings and the glory that should follow. So Paul says... You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So if we want to know God's glory, if you want to know God's essence, God's essence, then it is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. It is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul is basically saying the centrality of this message that they proclaim is focused on Jesus. He says we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We don't preach. We, we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. Listen to that statement. We don't go about preaching ourselves. 
we don't boast in ourselves, we don't talk about ourselves, we don't exalt ourselves, we don't put the attention on ourselves, we don't beat the drum about ourselves, we don't build our message around ourselves, around who we are, around what we have achieved, around what we have attained. We don't build it around our accolades. We don't build it around our fame, our glory, our achievements. We don't build this message around our experiences. We don't build this message around ourselves. He says we don't go around preaching ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. Brothers and sisters, you will always know how someone has drifted when the message ceases to be centered around Jesus. When we center the message around men, when we center the message around people, when we center the message around individuals, when we center the message around what we think are important in terms of accolades and achievements, then you can clearly know that we have moved away from Jesus. So what is the Apostle Paul saying? The Apostle Paul is saying, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. He says in another version, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves merely as your servants for Jesus' sake. So look at the attitude. First and foremost, we don't talk about ourselves. Secondly, we are not bosses. We are not bosses of our people. We don't lord over people. We have not made people our subjects. We have not centered our message around ourselves so that we can receive praises and accolades from men. We have not taken the attention away from Jesus and put the attention on ourselves. The message is Christ. Brothers and sisters, the focus has been Jesus. So Paul is saying, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, he has shined in our hearts. He has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, God has shined. He has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He has shined in our hearts. That is such a beautiful statement that the Apostle Paul brings out there. He says that God has shined in our hearts to bring light and understanding to the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So there is no knowing God's glory. There is no knowing God's essence. There is no knowing God's weight in the absence of Jesus. Jesus always has to be present for us to know the very essence of God, for us to know the very weight of God. It has to be in the light of Jesus. In another version, it says, remember, our message is not about ourselves. We are proclaiming Jesus Christ, the master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. 
It started when God said, light up the darkness and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. Hallelujah. And our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ. We understood God. Understood God in the face of Christ. That's why Philip said to Jesus, show us the father and we shall be satisfied. Then Jesus said to him, Philip, how can you say, show us the father? Yet you have been with me all this time. And Jesus said to Philip, if you have seen me, then you have seen the father. Meaning in the face of Christ, in the very person of Jesus, is the father revealed. He is the expression of the father. Praise be to God. He is the essence of the father. He is the essence of the father. Jesus Christ. He is the essence of the Father. So this is an urge to each and every one of us to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying is it has to be in the face of Jesus Christ. It has to be in the face of Jesus Christ. That is such an important reality for us to grasp. Amen. Now, that being said, Time and time again, we will come across this emphasis that is centered around Jesus to help us understand that everything is focused on Jesus. Everything is actually focused in him. The Bible says in uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, As we read up to verse 14, when I read for you, it continues and says that from verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when the Bible talks about the face of Jesus Christ, the Bible again says here that Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So Philip is saying, show us the father. Why? Because God is not, God is a spirit. He's not seen with a naked eye. And so Philip desired to see God, the father. And the Bible says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So if there is any image of this God who is a spirit, then it is in the 
face of Jesus Christ when he came bodily in this earth. When he came in the flesh and we saw him, it is the best example or the best expression, the best lesson, the best subject, the best teachings that we can ever draw understanding of the Father. It is through Jesus. The Bible says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the first one from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. It pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. So all the fullness, all the essence. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. If you have been grappling, how is God like? What is he like really? If you ever have been wrestling with the idea of trying to figure out God, trying to understand him, he being a spirit, he being not visible with the naked eye, and that you have wrestled with the idea, then Christ is that demonstration. The Bible says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. It's rendered that he is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He is the exact, the exact the exact likeness of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. He is the exact likeness of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. He is the firstborn of all creation. Hallelujah. We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun, Jesus, and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, Rank after rank, rank of angels, everything God started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. So Christ is 
the visible representation of the heavenly father. That's why the apostle Paul, when he is talking about their ministry, he says, we don't go around preaching about ourselves, but we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. That is seen in the face of Jesus. That is why there is an urgency for us to learn and to behold Christ. Why? Because the only way that we can become more and more like him, the more that we can live a life fruitful, worthy of his calling in this present world, is to look at Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, since this way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever this covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Why? Because with a veil, you cannot see clearly. With a veil, you are blinded. With a veil, you cannot be able to see. So there are a lot of people walking in darkness. Why? Because they cannot see Jesus. They cannot see Christ. There are those that are blinded by all manner of deception. But there are those even in the church who are blinded. Because they have not understood that Christ is the central message. Christ is the central character. He is the hallmark of all that we do in our walk of faith. But it says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit, and whenever the spirit of the Lord is there, is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him. Because we are changed into his glorious image. That image is Christ. That image is Christ. So our pursuit, our pursuit has always been Jesus. Our pursuit has always been Jesus. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 1, as we have read about Christ being the central subject of the scripture, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made him, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones and kingdoms rulers and authorities in the unseen world everything was created through him and for him he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together 
Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So us who were far away have now been brought near. We were separated, but now we are in Christ through his body. Then what does he say in verse 23? That we have to continue grounded and settled and not be moved away from the hope of the gospel, which we have had and was preached to every creature which is under heaven. And Paul says, where I, Paul, am made a minister. So our focus has always to be Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, if then, if ye then be reason with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. So our affections have to be set on Jesus. Our affections and our focus has to be set on Christ. It has to be set on Jesus. Through every season, through every circumstance. Through every learning, our attention and our focus has to be on Jesus. It has to be on him. On nothing else but on Jesus. Now, that being said, in our journey of faith, brothers and sisters, we enter into different kinds of seasons. We come through seasons where we go through challenges and difficulties. And in those particular times, our major focus is to see this particular situation taken away from us. Oh, yes, when you are poor, what you expect is provision. What you expect is provision. When you are sick, what you mostly expect is healing. When you are troubled, what you pray and expect at most is peace. When you are single and desire a spouse what you expect is to be married with every circumstance with every situation that your life is experiencing that you're experiencing in your life the focus is 
how does this situation turn around? How does this situation turn around? And are we, are, are we bashing the people of God for behaving in that way? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, in the book of Psalms, you would continually see the prayers that the psalmist made when he was going through situations. He prayed concerning his situations. He prayed concerning what he was going through. For example, in Psalms chapter 3, the psalmist would say, Lord, how are they that are increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be that which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. So the psalmist would pray. He would say in Psalms chapter 4, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. My prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? But know that the Lord has set apart for him that is godly for himself. And the Lord will hear when I call unto him. So he would pray concerning his circumstances. He would pray concerning his situation. He would pray concerning what he was going through. And whenever we are going through experiences in life, we would pray concerning our circumstances. We would pray concerning our situations. We would pray concerning what we are going through. And that would be central. That would be central in our lives. It will take our attention. It would take our focus. What is it that you are going through? What is it that someone else is going through? They would pray concerning that. And that would take our attention. But even as we go through these circumstances, even as we pray to God concerning these situations, even as we seek the Lord, even as we call upon him concerning our situation, there is a place that is higher than that. There is a place that is more greater than that. Why? Because if I am sick and I pray to the Lord and the Lord heals me, then I will testify and say, my God is a healer. I would testify and I would say, my God is a healer. Why? Because he has healed me. My God is a provider. Why? Because he has provided for me. My God is a God of favor. Why? Because he has granted me favor in my workplace and in somewhere that I was going through it. 
And so I would proclaim him for what he has done for me. I would give him praise and honor because of what he has done for me. And that is why even as you look in the Old Testament, there were a lot of names that were given to God based on the experiences that they would call him El Shaddai, they would call him Jehovanisi, they would call him Jehovah Jireh. They would come all these names because of what the Lord had done. Brothers and sisters, whereas the Lord is able to do all these things, At the same time, we deal with a very interesting reality that even Christ said in this world, you will have many troubles. But believe in me and be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That is what Jesus said. He said in this world... we will have tribulation in John chapter 16. Jesus said that it's actually John 16 verse 33. Jesus says these things I have spoken unto you that ye might have peace that ye might that in me ye might have peace. In this world ye shall have tribulation but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So he said, in this world, ye will have tribulation. That we will have tribulation. That is great trouble or suffering. That we will be, we will encounter trouble, worry, burdens, anxiety, afflictions, ordeals, trials, adversity, hardship, tragedy, trauma setbacks, problems, misfortunes, distress, suffering. Jesus said that these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace, because in this world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And we see how the apostles went through challenges and tribulation. So it begs the question, I can't believe God for healing. And I see healing take place. Then I can call him God, my healer. And then another believer can believe God for healing. But then the loved one succumbs to sickness. One believer can believe God for a job and the opportunity opens. 
in an amazing way and he comes to church and testifies. Praise be to God. My God is a miracle working God. He opens doors. Even when I didn't have sufficient papers or even when I seemed the least qualified for that position, even when it seemed impossible, God opened the door for me and I got a job. Praise the Lord. And we would celebrate and say, God opens doors. And while that believer is testifying that God has opened the door, there's another one that walks to church that Sunday praying to God because of the persecution that he has gone in his workplace because he couldn't bribe, because he couldn't compromise. He has lost his job. He has lost his job. And they've all come that Sunday to testify of the Lord. When one is coming to celebrate healing, there's another one that just buried their loved one who is sick. While someone else is coming, celebrating a wonderful business opportunity that has opened up for them. They have locked a deal, probably worth millions. Another one comes because their business has run down and they have actually been auctioned. While one comes in and testifies how rejoicing it is that God has seen them through and they have gotten married. Or someone else comes and testifies of 10 years celebration of the anniversary. There's another one that is going through divorce. And all these people are sons of God. All these people are children of God. All these people are children of God. How is it possible that while one is celebrating and rejoicing, another one is holding back tears because of what they have experienced or what they are going through? So does God's name change? Does he cease to be Jehovah Jireh? When someone has lost his business, when someone has lost an opportunity, so does he cease to be a healer? When someone is celebrating of God's healing and another one is mourning over the loss of a loved one, does he cease to be a God who is for marriages? When one marriage is celebrating 10 years anniversary and another one is on the brink of divorce. What name do we give him in all these circumstances and situations? How do we worship him in all these circumstances and situations? How do we praise him in all these circumstances? Because our experiences can be diverse. So what is the believer's attitude? What is the believer's attitude? What is the believer's disposition? 
Is he a faithful God when things are working out? And when things are not working out, his name changes. His identity changes. And is your identity as a believer defined by the circumstances and the situations that you are going through? So when one succeeds, you say that one is a more faithful believer than the one that is broke. When one is getting a promotion at work, we say that one has indeed the favor of God. And the other one does not have the favor of God. And so sometimes people will quote things like favor is not fair. But does he change? Does the message change? Or is there a greater pursuit than all these experiences that we go through? That's why the Apostle Paul says, we don't preach ourselves. The Apostle Paul says, we don't build sermons based on ourselves. The message of Christ is not built around a believer's experience. The message of Christ is built around the identity, built around the very nature, the very being of Christ, who he is but not based on our experiences. Because even when it hurts, even when it doesn't seem logical, even when it doesn't seem to be making sense, he is Christ. He still saves. He is faithful. What Jesus said in this world, in this world, you will have tribulation you will have tribulation. Does God heal? Yes. But does it mean that the believer's walk will be absent of tribulation? No. Does it mean that the believer's walk will be absent of challenges? Absolutely not. We all can look at a point in our life where we have experienced a burden or we have experienced worry We have experienced adversity and hardship. We've experienced sadness and anguish and grief, pain. For those of us who have gone through tragedy and trials, adversity, Because he said that in this world, 
He said, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, because in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So the Apostle Paul says, we do not preach ourselves. We do not preach ourselves. We don't go about preaching ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. We preach that Jesus is Lord. We preach that Jesus is Lord. Because sometimes our experiences and our circumstances might not make for the best message. Whether glorious, whether challenging, the message cannot be ourselves. The message cannot be ourselves. The message can only be Jesus Christ, his Lord. He is the visible representation of the invisible God. The fullness of God dwelleth in him bodily. He is the very essence of God. And he is the emphasis of the message. Because his word has said that he's, he's, he's a healer. Because his word has said that he is faithful. I will stand by his word. I will testify of his word. There might be tribulations. There might be challenges, but I will still speak of Christ. I will still testify of the Lord. I will still proclaim his message. I will speak of him beyond the circumstances and beyond the situations. Because he's a faithful God. Because he is who he says he is. And so, always we are reminded that Christ is what is to be preached. He is what is to be emphasized. Paul says, the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, the image of God, is shining in them. And then he says, we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. So we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never but we through the life of Jesus in our bodies. Yes, we live under the constant danger of death because we see bodies. So we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have this kind of faith the psalmist had when he spoke 
praise the Lord Jesus. Praise with Jesus and praise himself together. All this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For the present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. The things be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So Paul is saying our outward experiences sometimes may be disheartening. Like the Apostle Paul's experiences, pressed on every side, persecuted. But the message remained pure and the message remained consistent and the focus remained consistent. This is an urge to each and every one of us that even through our different experiences, we might be experiencing great financial success, great progress in our business, great elevation. Will Christ remain the same? Paul is saying that they are pressed on every side. Maybe it is not being pressed on every side. Maybe it is prospering on every side. Maybe it is progress on every side. Promotion and success. Materially, physically. The greatest dreams you had are coming to pass. The things that you've pursued for many years are coming to pass. But will the purity and the sincerity of our profession remain the same. That means Christ does not change, whether broke or rich, sick or healed, weak or strong, stressed or at peace. Christ is the same. He is the same. The message is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our testimony remains the same to him. Our testimony remains the same concerning him. Though outwardly, we may be facing these challenges, but Christ remains the same. Will that remain our confession? Will that remain our attention? Because our work of faith is not in things, but it is in a person, and that person is Jesus. All that we were ushered into was faith in Christ. Salvation was from sin. Now we have come into his family. Partakers of his inheritance, loved of God. 
cherished of him. Our pursuit can never be anything beyond Christ. Our focus, our joy, our attention can never be in anything else save Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul even mentions that there are those things that are temporary. He says, since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are visible are temporal, brief and fleeting, but the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. So we look at the life beyond this body, beyond this present world, the things that are unseen, and we know that they are permanent, but not the things that are temporary and the things that are seen. Our affections can never be in those things, but in Christ Jesus. He remains to be the representation of God. And so our affections are toward him that we have seen his tender mercies, his compassion, his forbearance, his love, his grace. That remains where our affection is in the person of Jesus Christ. May the Lord birth that affection in our hearts by his spirit. May he birth that affection and that love for him in our hearts, may it continually be lavished in our hearts, that we can still hold a great affection and love for him, that the trials and tribulations of this life, the successes and joys of this life, can never take our sincere and genuine love and passion for him. So we can always say how how we love Jesus. Because he has first loved us. Because he has first loved us. May our passion and may our zeal, may our affection never be taken away from him and it be diverted to other things. And may our confidence always remain in him through the trials and through the tribulations May it always remain by in him, strengthened with all might by his spirit. That's what the Apostle Paul prayed for the Colossian church. That as they increase in the knowledge of God, they may be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, which will help them in all nations long suffering with joyfulness. When the Holy Ghost strengthens us with might, in our inner man, then we can remain patient. We can be long-suffering and we can always hold on to our joy of salvation and we can never lose it. We can always be strengthened in our inner man. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you that we have testified of God's ability to strengthen us with might. That he can strengthen with might when situations seem so difficult and everyone else is wondering, how are you keeping a straight face? How are you remaining strong and constant in him? How is it possible that you remain this way? Because he strengthens with might in our inner man. 
He strengthens with might. He strengthens with might by his spirit. He strengthens with might. He does it. He does it. According to his glorious power. He strengthens. According to his glorious power. He lavishes his love upon our hearts. Constantly. That's why the Apostle Paul prayed for the Colossian church. And when Paul prayed for them, Paul said, For this cause, or we also since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and to all patience, long-suffering and with joyfulness. In another rendering of Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy always, thanking the Father. He says, we pray that you may be invigorated and strengthened with all power according to the might of his glory to exercise every kind of endurance and patience, perseverance and forbearance with joy because it strengthens us in our inner man. And also, he fills us with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this is so critical to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding. What does it mean to be filled with the knowledge of his will? Is it too complex of a statement? Paul says, be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. So you may acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works, but you may acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. And then he says, we pray that you will live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. What is Paul saying? He's praying this spiritual wisdom and understanding in in God's will is learning to understand intricately how God works. How, how, How does he work? What is his purpose? Through wealth, what is God's purpose? What is God saying? How is God working? Through luck, how is God working? Through challenges, how is God working? So that when we are very prosperous and increasing in wealth and everything, 
we do not become proud or trust in fleeting riches. And even when we're going through luck, we do not become resentful and angry and bitter. Bitter at people, bitter at God, thinking or questioning his love and affection for us. So we will begin to covet what other people have and we will begin to say, if God is faithful, if God is loving, how is it possible that my sister, who I have been with for all these years, is able to get married, yet I have not been able to find a mate. I have not been able to find a spouse. Is God faithful? Is God fair? Is God loving? Because it's possible, if you read in Psalm 73, even the psalmist said he saw the wicked prosper and his heart was almost offended. He almost slipped until he found understanding. So this understanding of spiritual wisdom in the knowledge of God's will, the spiritual wisdom and understanding is for us to be able to understand through different circumstances and periods of our life that we do not give up on God because of what we are going through. We do not become offended or bitter. We don't turn our attention from God. We don't turn away from him because of what we are going through. Because the lack of the understanding of his spiritual wisdom uh, and, and understanding in the knowledge of God's will, it will make us then take up decisions that are not pleasing. Why? Because the Bible is clear. The Bible is saying when we understand the spiritual wisdom, when we have the spiritual wisdom, and understanding we will walk worthy of the lord unto all pleasing and then we will be fruitful in every good work all right so we will live lives that will always honor and please the lord and our lives will produce every kind of good fruit we will live lives of honor that are pleasing to the lord and our lives will produce every kind of good fruit but with, without the understanding, without the spiritual wisdom and understanding, we will abuse all privileges that God has given us. We will abuse opportunities. We will abuse privileges. We will abuse our bodies. Even sexual immorality is that lack of understanding of the spiritual will and understand, the lack of spiritual wisdom and understanding of God's will. Because God's will is clear, even concerning our bodies, that they are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God dwelleth in us. Through this body, we are to glorify God. Through this body, we are to glorify him. My body, your body, is also to bring glory to God. It is to bring pleasure and joy and satisfaction to the one that God has given to you in the holy institution of marriage. So it means when I take this body of mine and seek to please it or to please someone else outside 
the context of God's will, then I lack spiritual wisdom and understanding. Therefore, I no longer live a life that is honorable before God. Therefore, I displease him and I displease even those around me. Therefore, I am not fruitful as God intended because I have taken that which God intended for a certain context and taken it outside that particular context. If God has given me this body, that it should be pleasing to my wife, and then I take it and go and please somebody else's wife, or please somebody else who is not supposed to enjoy that particular privilege because it is within a certain context, then I am not walking in that spiritual wisdom and understanding that God has put in place. This mouth that God has given me is a fountain of life. The Bible says, let your speech with, be seasoned with salt, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Therefore, my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. The Bible, the, even the psalmist said, the Lord has given me the tongue, tongue of the learned. Morning by morning, he, wakeneth, he wakens me, that I may know how to sustain him that is weary with a word. So the tongue was supposed to sustain him that is weary with a word. It's supposed to minister grace to the hearers. It's supposed to speak life to those that are dead. It's supposed to prophesy to those that are weak and feeble and discouraged and tell them of the good tidings of the Lord. It's supposed to proclaim the acceptable ear of the Lord. It's supposed to proclaim his favor and his love and his goodness uh, with the same mouth that God has given me because I lack spiritual wisdom and understanding. I use it to destroy the lives of others. I use it to speak ill of others. I use it to discourage and destroy someone else. I use it as a sharp tongue to destroy the dreams and hopes of people, to rob people of their confidence, to damage people's esteem. Therefore, I am not walking in that understanding. His spiritual wisdom and understanding has to be in the light of Jesus Christ. How did Christ speak? What were the words that proceeded from his mouth? What did he use his body for? He laid hands on the sick and they were healed. That those that touched him and they received virtue. And of the utmost, he gave his body as a sacrifice. His body was broken down so that you and I can no longer have that world of division that separates us. But in his body, peace has been restored. Now we have access to the Father. Oh, he used his body well. Are we going to use our body also with that understanding? For everything that God has given us, there is a purpose. There is a significance. So our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And some people say, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do with my body. All that matters is my inside. Absolutely not. That body is the gateway through which the spirit of God works in this physical world. The kingdom of God is manifested through you. The Bible says that without holiness, no man shall see God. And if you understand in the context of its original expression, it means that if we are not living lives that are set apart, 
then how shall men see God? Because they were supposed to see God through us. So, in all this, Paul is saying, we don't preach ourselves, we preach Christ. Our affections, our obsession is always with Jesus and not ourselves. The utmost of our pursuit is always Christ and not ourselves. Even when our attention is focused on our present experiences, whether they be challenging or difficult, we are called upon to rise above what we are going through and now be able to still focus on Christ. Because it doesn't change. Our circumstances change. Our situations change. I have never spoken so much on the subject of healing or prayed on the subject of healing as I did in the previous month. But when our daughter rested and went to be with the Lord, should we stop there or should we continue speaking about Christ? Because our situation and our circumstances change, but he still remains the same. The Bible says he's the God in whom there is no variation or light to change. He remains the same. So day by day, our focus can only be with, on, on Christ. If my whole life has been centered around my whole Christian experience, my whole Christian journey has been centered around praying and believing God for a spouse. What happens when you get married? Because those circumstances change. But our pursuit of Christ, us being transformed day by day us beholding Christ beholding the glory of God which is explained to be Jesus the glory of God is explained to be Christ beholding him are being transformed from one degree of glory to another after the image by the spirit of God which image is Christ the image of the invisible God We see Jesus. We are called to set our affections and our focus on him, daily beholding him, daily speaking about him, daily testifying about him, daily. It is centered on Christ and Christ alone. That's why even when Jesus was transfigured and there was the prophets and the law in Moses. A voice came from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And immediately Elijah and Moses disappeared. Why? Because it is no longer about the prophets and the law. The Bible says that the law and the prophets testify about Jesus. They point to Jesus Christ. The law and the prophets testify concerning Jesus.
they testify about Jesus. Jesus even himself said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That means all that the prophets had written, the fulfillment of them were in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 32, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So even the grace of God, Christ, it was prophesied by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So we see this reality in the word. And so the focus was not on Moses. The focus was not on the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. But our attention is taken back to Christ. Who is the glory of God? Who is the image of God? And so now we are urged to look upon him. We are urged to set our affections upon him. We are urged to keep our attention upon him. So let our affections be back on Christ. He is the center of it all. And our experiences may be temporary. They will pass. But Christ remains. Christ remains. He remains. He remains. So have you been drawn away from him? Has your attention been taken away from him? Let it come back. Let it come back. Your attention could be taken away from him because of your experiences, because of your expectations, because of the season that you're going through in your life, or even because of the messages that you hear, which again, the Bible testifies of those that are veiled, those that are veiled. Because the Bible says as long as Moses is read, as long as Moses is read, as long as the focus is on the law, there remains a veil upon people's faces because they can never be able to see Jesus. The Bible says, and not as Moses which put a veil over his face and that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil and taken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Amen.
But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when he shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding us in the glass, the glory of the Lord, the glory of Christ, are being changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. The glory of Christ. And as I always tell you, see, the Bible is not written in chapters and verses. It was a letter. So it means when you move to chapter 4, it's a continuation. And chapter 4 says, therefore, therefore, or moreover, why? Why is it saying therefore? In light of what? In light of the fact that we are beholding the glory of the Lord as in a glass. We have renounced all these things, Paul says. Then he says that God has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what is the glory of God? What is the glory of the Lord? What is the glory that is being beheld? The glory of God being beheld is in the face of Jesus Christ, is in light of Jesus Christ, is on account of Jesus Christ, is on the testimony of Christ, on the manifestation of Christ, on the teaching of Christ. It is in light of Jesus. And so as we desire to be transformed and metamorphosed more and more into his image, more and more into his likeness, the different aspects of our character being refined to manifest more and more as Jesus because he has made us, but there is a distance between our mindset and what the word of God says. Our identity is we are sons of God. But sometimes we may act otherwise because we are still being renewed daily through his word. That renewal is happening by the beholding of Christ. As we behold him, may he make our hearts more tolerable and accommodative to one another. May we have greater long-suffering for one another. May we have more room to love and to care for one another. May we be genuine in the motives of our heart. May we be forgiving. May we be quick to apologize. May we consider others better than ourselves. May we find it not difficult to submit one to another, to love one another, to lay down our lives for others. May every selfishness and self-centeredness be read off from our hearts. May envy and strife be taken away from our hearts. May compassion flow freely from our hearts. May forgiveness, may graciousness emanate from our hearts daily as we behold him. May these things be made manifest in our hearts. May we have a passion for the lost. May we have a desire to pray for the lost. May we care for those that are hurting. May we also in our prayer life, have greater investment to pray for others and not just our needs and cares. May we learn to lay down our lives for others as Christ laid down his life for us. May a, may a passion, may a love, may a zeal for God 
be present in our hearts. May our prayer lives be enjoyable and not something that we consider to be a burden. May we have a yearning for him. May we have this compassion. Feel our hearts. So we can love like he loved. We can care like he cared. We can walk like he walked because we are transformed after his image. We are transformed after his image. We are beholding him. So it is the image of the Lord, that image of the Lord, that image of the Lord that we are beholding, that image of the Lord is Christ. The exact representation of the invisible God. So when we behold him, We're not beholding a mysterious image or a mysterious idea. We're beholding the very life of Christ. And may that be made manifest in our lives. Christ is the center of it all. He is the utmost pursuit. He is the purpose for everything we do. He is the hallmark of our faith. He is the hallmark of everything we do. Amen. And amen. At this particular point, I'd like us to pray. Why don't you just take some time and just open your mouth in light of whatever we have shared and speak in tongues and just give him praise. When you feel like your heart has been taken away from him, just receive his love for you. Receive his love right now. If there's any question of doubt or any condemnation whatsoever, any feeling of insufficiency, receive his love, receive his affection, his compassion, his presence is here with us. So just receive it. Receive it this particular moment and let it overflow in your heart. In Jesus' name. Let us pray. Ire babu sakat dari babu shande le kredizentu rabashando re bakai akosande ri babu shande esentu rubu shanta le kredibu zondu rubu shande ri basu kantaraba re kusunda ri babu shanta ri babu 
they cease not to pray for them. That they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. They might work worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing. Being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with might according to his glorious power. And to all patience, long suffering with joyfulness. That they may give thanks unto the Father who has made us qualified partakers of the inheritance saints in light and Lord we say thank you for this is our portion in Christ Jesus I thank you for everyone that has been here for the word that has gone forth and captured our hearts Lord teaching us that we should remind uh, that, that, that we should be mindful rather of Christ and that our focus and our attention should be upon him as the apostle Paul said for we preach not ourselves, but we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves, servants, for the sake of others. Because God, who said, let there be light out of darkness, is the same God that has shined in our hearts, bringing light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this light shines in our heart in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, may we continually behold the face of Christ, that we may be transformed to the same image after your glory from the Spirit of God day by day. As we listen to your word, may the very character of Christ be formed in us. As the Apostle Paul said, I travail that Christ may be formed in you. I pray that Christ will continually be formed in us, that we shall live a life pleasing and worthy before you. A life that will testify of your faithfulness, testify of your identity, and that man can see that truly you are love, truly you are faithful. So I thank you for everyone. I pray that even through the circumstances and challenges of life, the attention will never shift to their problems. Because you said in your word, these things I I have spoken unto you, that ye may be of good cheer. For in the world... We will have many tribulations. But you say, but let us find our peace in you. Because you have already overcome the world. So may we find our peace in you. Through every circumstance and challenge. May our peace be in Christ. May our focus be upon you. May not circumstances that are temporary. Take us away from the love and the relationship that we have in you. But that we may be strengthened through them all. By your spirit in our inner man. That our testimony may grow stronger and stronger day by day as we continue to testify of your goodness. For your word says, the path of a just man is as a shining light that grows brighter and brighter until the perfect day. And that the righteous will grow from strength to strength. So we bless you and we thank you, Lord, for this is our portion that we shall continue to grow in you, invested in your love and your goodness, firm in the faith, strong in you my God how we give you praise how we give you thanks for you have answered us richly and that you have blessed us with all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ Jesus so we are not afraid of what lies ahead we know that you have sustained us and you have kept us even in the days to come and the week ahead we will see your faithfulness in all that we touch in all that we do in all that we say in all our undertakings Father, we will testify of your goodness. We will testify of your goodness because you are faithful. 
We say thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen, everyone.